0: Music Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Father Mitch Packham and welcome to Scripture and Tradition, where we take a look at the Word of God in sacred Scripture. And we try to understand it through the lens of church tradition, but especially in the series that we're doing now, to be able to use sacred Scripture as the meat of our prayer. Now, we'd love to have you be part of our show. You can do so by adding your questions or comments. During the live show, which is on Tuesday from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, you can call in. If you're in North America, it is 94 60 if you are outside North America that will not work so you can call country code 1 area code 205 271 2980 you can also send us your questions and comments via email by writing to scripture and tradition at ewtn.com, or You can follow us and participate with the show on Facebook and YouTube. Now today we're going to discuss the importance that our Lord Jesus Christ placed on His own private personal prayer life. We'll talk about what our Lord was seeking in His prayer. Now we're still going through my book called Praying the Gospels. Jesus launches his public ministry. And this is available at ewtnrc.com where it is item number 52687, 52687. And this was a book that I wrote in order to help us to meditate on the beginnings of Jesus public ministry. But we'll be finishing it up in just a couple of weeks. So, then our next set of shows, the next series of programs, will help us to reflect on the various miracles of Jesus during his mission in Galilee. And for that series of studies, we'll be using the second book in that series. It's a sequel. It's called Praying the Gospels Jesus' Miracles in Galilee. And you can get that at EWTNRC.com where it is item number 52885. 52885. Hopefully you'll enjoy that book and the, the reflections that we do during this program. Today we'll be looking at chapter 7. Uh, we've been focusing on our Lord's initial mission in the city of Capernaum. And now we're going to be dealing with the transition from our Lord's preaching in Capernaum to the wider Galilean mission. And we're going to be focusing on Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 45. In this first reflection, we'll just focus on Mark 1, verse 35. It says there, In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. Now, this has parallels in the other Gospels, of course, like Luke 4, verse 42 where it shows that very early in the public ministry, he went out and prayed. It says in Luke 4, 42, at daybreak he departed and went into a deserted place and the crowds were looking for him. And when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. Okay. He gets up before anybody else. And this is a culture where people get up early. The idea of... You know, sleeping in very late was not part of the culture. Everybody had to be up. If you raise animals, you got to be up there to feed them. If you're a fisherman, you have to be out on the water early before dark, um, sometimes all night long. And people start cooking and preparing, you know, for the day very early. Our Lord is awake even before they were. And he goes off uh, before anybody is awake to even notice him and finds a lonely place, a place where he can enter into prayer and a prayerful communion with his father. He doesn't want to be disturbed. And if you go to the Holy Land, you know, Capernaum is right, you can still see it's right on the Sea of Galilee, but uh, in between Capernaum and the place where he multiplied loaves and fish, there's a little cave. It's not very deep, but it's, it's a little cave on the side of the, the Mount of, of um, where the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of Beatitudes, as it's called today. And it's facing toward the sea. And the early Christians would mark that out as the place where our Lord used to go and pray. Today, you can actually get up to it. There's, they've, the Israeli government has constructed a sidewalk and stairs. So you can go up towards that. It used to be a little bit more remote, but you can get up in there. And uh, this is something that's uh, very important now. It's uh, in St. Mark and St. Luke especially, and somewhat in St. Matthew as well, but especially in Mark and Luke. We see our Lord going off for private prayer fairly often. A number of verses mention it. Uh, Luke has it the most often, in fact. I see in Mark chapter 6, verse 46, after saying farewell to the apostles, this says they got into the boat, after multiplication of loaves and fish, they're going to go back across the lake. And he goes off and uh, bids them farewell and goes to pray on his loan. And that's also in John and the other Gospels that he wanted to pray. Uh, many other places, Luke 6, verse 12, he, in those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. That's what he did right before HE CHOSE HIS DISCIPLES. IN LUKE 9, 18, NOW IT HAPPENED THAT AS HE WAS PRAYING ALONE, THE, apostles, the DISCIPLES WERE WITH HIM AND HE ASKED THEM, WHO DO PEOPLE SAY I AM? AND THIS IS, this is ANOTHER VERSE THAT BEFORE THIS PROFESSION OF FAITH BY ST. PETER, OUR LORD HAD BEEN PRAYING and then in Luke 9, 28, when he goes up for the transfiguration, it says about, now about eight days after these things, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. He has a few, the, the, the most inner circle Of the inner circle, the apostles were an inner circle. But even within the apostles, there were those three, who especially, were chosen out. We also see in Luke chapter eleven, verse one, that he was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples." This became a model for him. This is what what you have to do. And they, they wanted to learn to pray as well. So watching our Lord pray stirred up within the apostles a desire of their own for deeper prayer. And, you know, we see certainly in Hebrews chapter 5 or 7 that it kind of summarizes our Lord's life by saying, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now, this is a very important element. We see it repeated again and again. A lot of times we don't, you know, we we know it, but a lot of times we don't think about it enough that our Lord very much loved to pray. He desired to pray, and he needed to pray. And this is important because communion with his Father was the very essence of his relationship as God the Son. The Son and the Father are in this kind of prayer. And he Wanted to make sure that he taught his disciples about prayer. Think back to the Sermon on the Mount in chapter six. Our Lord begins by saying, You know, let your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And, you know, that, that righteousness refers to giving alms and to prayer. And so he taught about that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you go and you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees and seeks it will reward you. Well, he's talking about this need for private prayer that's not all about show. And there are times where we pray together in order to support each other and pray for each other. and We need that kind of prayer together. But there's also this time for this personal, private, quiet prayer. And he modeled it for us. Our Lord was a model of that kind of prayer. And this is very much a key to finding the sustenance we need to live our Christian life. It is very easy as we are going through various aspects of our lives that We can be caught up by the things happening around us and lose perspective. It's easy to lose perspective if you are only watching the people around you. We need to turn away from that and turn towards God and seek His perspective on us and on the situations around us. And this is going to sustain us. You know, right now, for instance, we see lots and lots of anger in our society. These shootings and now all kinds of threats from the pro-abortion people and things like that. This, this anger and rage is something that is easy for us to get caught up into unless we pull back and ask our Lord, What do you want us to do? How do you want me to react? Where is your wisdom? Where is your peace in the midst of the world being filled with uproar? That's very, very important. So, this is something we need. And, you know, this is how we also acquire a certain sensitivity to the movements of the Holy Spirit that we want to be alert to when He is leading us and directing us. Sometimes it's not easy. You know, we don't always know what we should do and what the Lord Holy Spirit is asking of us. But it is very important for us to take time in quiet prayer because that is also where we become more alert to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. AND THAT IS VERY IMPORTANT IN TERMS OF CHOOSING OUR VOCATION, TAKING ON VARIOUS JOBS AND TASKS, AND OTHER ISSUES IN OUR APOSTOLATES, OUR FAMILIES. WE NEED, YOU KNOW, AGAIN, SOMETIMES IT'S NOT EVEN PEOPLE IN POLITICS, SOMETIMES JUST YOUR KIDS ARE DRIVING YOU NUTS. AND YOU MIGHT BE DRIVING THEM NUTS, TOO. <laughs> THAT HAPPENS. and. We all need to have time where we are with our Lord and find what this would be uh, that we have to do next. So, a couple of things I'd like you to consider. Imagine Jesus. Try to picture our Lord Jesus, maybe going into this little cave overlooking the Sea of Galilee very, very early in the day when it's still very dark. And you know you don't even have the gray of uh, the, the dawn starting, and in a place where there's no street lights, there're no lights except for the moon and the stars, and so it can be very, very dark. You can't even see your foot under under at the bottom of your legs. It's so dark. And our Lord goes there. Try to picture Him, and. If, he, if you picture him a prayer, what is he doing in his prayer? Is he kneeling? Is he sitting? Is he standing? How would you portray him? How would you imagine our Lord? Think about where his attention might be as he's praying. What is he focused on? Try to picture his face. What would the expression on our Lord's face be as he's praying to the Father, as he's entering into this kind of communion with his Father. And again, to try to simply remain quietly with him. You know, the the crowd came looking for him, but we're not there to disturb him. We're there to be quiet with him. AND IMAGINE OURSELVES IN HIS PRESENCE. AND THEN, TRY TO PICTURE IN YOUR MIND THAT OUR LORD IS FINISHING UP HIS TIME OF PRAYER. AND AS HE COMES TO THAT CONCLUSION, AND YOU'VE SHOWN A TYPE OF RESPECT FOR HIS NEED FOR QUIET TIME, SPEAK TO HIM LIKE THE APOSTLES DID WHEN HE WAS FINISHED WITH HIS PRAYER. ASK HIM, LORD, What do you want from me in my prayer? What are you looking for in me? What would you like me to do in my prayer time? And what is our Lord's goal for our private prayer? You'll hear people uh, in the media Talk about the importance of meditation to reduce blood pressure and things like that. That's all fine, but that's not why we pray. And that's not why our Lord wants us to pray. Lowering your blood pressure and being at ease, that's a result. And too often it's easy to seek certain results and secondary effects. I should, that's an even better way to put it, secondary effects. Instead of the primary goal, and we need to ask our Lord, what do you want from my prayer? What are you looking for from me in my prayer? And, you know, what would our Lord desire for you in this area of life, of pr- personal prayer? How would you respond to him? Would be your effect. And remember, we, we already cited from Luke chapter 11, we'll repeat it again. In Luke 11, verse 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So they waited till he finished his private prayer. They showed him respect for that private, quiet time. Something that we need ourselves and we need to show to others. But then when he was finished, they are doing what what I'm suggesting here. They asked him, how do we pray? And notice that he answered and said, when you pray, say, FATHER, HALLOWED BE YOUR NAME, YOUR KINGDOM COME. GIVE US EACH DAY OUR DAILY BREAD AND FORGIVE US OUR SINS, FOR WE OURSELVES FORGIVE EVERYONE INDEBTED TO US, AND DO NOT BRING US TO THE TIME OF TRIAL. SO THIS IS A LITTLE BIT SHORTER VERSION OF THE LORD'S PRAYER THAN WE, than we KNOW FROM ST. MATTHEW. Um, He had taught them also in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13 how to to pray. And we use the version from St. Matthew. But what I would do is recommend that you conclude this prayer time with your own praying of the way that Jesus taught us. Simply pray the Our Father. Say that prayer. And do it slowly, mindfully. And thinking through the various aspects of that prayer. Lots to meditate on there, that's for sure. And in that, ask him to teach you even more about your private prayer. All right, we'll take a break right there and we'll come back with our next little meditation in a moment. So please stay with us. All right, thank you. Welcome back. All right, so this, I would like to continue and do another aspect of Mark chapter 1, verse 35, where it says, In the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place. It was still very dark. He got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. Okay, let's take a look at that. I don't only want to focus on the first little part of this. We're focusing on our Lord, you know, entering into private prayer and His desire to be in communion with His Heavenly Father and to seek the Father's will. But there's some other things that we have to consider here. First of all, remember what it says Uh, in Philippians, St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. This is itself part of an ancient hymn. This was a hymn used in the church by St. Paul. He had taught the Philippians this hymn, and he is now reflecting on the words. This is... A little side point here, this is one of the reasons why it's very important for us to pay attention to the content of hymns. You've heard me say many times, there are some hymns that keep on congratulating ourselves and letting God know how lucky He is to have us in church. <laughs> you know, that kind of you know, saying, God, you know, we're the people of this, we're the light of the world, we're doing this, we're doing that. Pay attention, God. Be glad we're here. Okay? No, no, no. That's 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 not good content. The hymn should focus on the truths of the faith and on praising and adoring God. He should be the center. So that, that's what's true in this one. So St. Paul wrote in 2nd Philippians, beginning with verse 5, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So that's his little introduction as to why he's quoting the hymn. Then the hymn starts, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which, by the way, was the form of death given to slaves and non-citizens. This hymn brings out how humble our Lord Jesus was. He mentions himself at the end of Matthew 11, that he is meek and humble of heart. But this humility shows itself in that he wants to know the Father's will. He wants to do what the Father's will. And he doesn't just get, you know, the plans. It's part of his relationship with the Father so that he keeps learning step by step the next thing that the Father wants him to do. Now, he has to stay in close communication with God the Father in order to know the next step. In some ways, the Lord's Prayer brings this out when it says, uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That petition of the Lord's prayer comes right out of our Lord's own personal commitment to doing the will of the Father. And then even when He says, give us this day our daily bread, it's not only the daily bread. Notice our Lord didn't say, "Um, would you give us bread for about a month? How about a year's worth? Then I don't have to bother you. No, the Father wants us to bother us. I bother him for our daily bread, like any other kids. Kids don't tell their parents, "All right, give me meals set out for the next year." No, they want it each. When I get up, I want my breakfast. Or if you had my mother say, "Well, there's the stove," but (laughs) more. But you want lunch, you want dinner each day. You get your meals, each of the meals. And that's how the Father wants us to be. And it's also learning His will step by step in order to keep us in the relationship. It's not just about getting the answer or getting the bread or just the stuff. It's about the relationship with the Father by which He is very much a Father to us. And you can't neglect either the ongoing relationship nor the desire to do what the Father wishes. This is very important. And as a matter of fact, when you go to the Gospel of St. John, our Lord repeats again and again that He came to do the will of the Father. No Gospel mentions it as often as John does. So for instance in John chapter 4 verse 34 my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work that's what nourishes Jesus in John chapter 5 verse 19 very truly I tell you the son can do nothing on his own but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does the son Does likewise. And again, in that same chapter, uh, 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek to do not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Notice how again and again our Lord comes to do the Father's will. When he's teaching about the Eucharist in John 6, verse 38, our Lord says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then again, we see in John chapter 8, verse, uh, well, chapter 9, verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. And even right before. the the Passover in John 12, 49, For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak, and I know that His commandment is eternal life. When I speak, therefore, I speak just as the Father has told me. This is so crucial for us to, to understand about our Lord. And if it's true of our Lord, it's also true for us. We also can think back on the Lord's uh, prayer at the end of His teaching at the Last Supper in John 17. Notice how He speaks about the purpose of doing the will of the Father. He says in John 17, verse 4, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. This is a key element for each one of us, to glorify God by what we do. Obeying Him glorifies Him. And in John 17, verse 8, he says, For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, that is, to His disciples. And we also need to learn from that too, that I'm here to do the words and things that God wants and to share His Word. That's why I like teaching Scripture. It's not my personal feelings. If I were you, I wouldn't care about my personal feelings. Sometimes I don't care about my personal feelings. It's more important that we do the Word of God. And in all of this, we have to remember in our prayer, that we don't even know how to pray very well. Um, That's why we we see uh, that St. Paul tells the Holy Spirit will help us. But our questions then, as we reflect on this, is what is the mission God gives me? If you're married, it's obviously to your family. That's your mission, is what our Lord asks you to do. And then we have to ask on a daily basis, Lord, how do you want me to fulfill my mission right now? Where do you want me to go next? It's the next part. And again, I urge you to do this by uh, recalling this little grotto, this little cave where our Lord, it's not very big, by the way, it's just fairly small. But imagine being with our Lord praying and consider how He enters into that communion with the Father and then ask God the Father and ask Him in the name of Jesus for a gift of the Holy Spirit. Our Lord taught us in John 14, verse 26, to ask in my name and the Father will give you the spirit of truth. Again, this is where St. Paul wrote in Romans eight twenty six: the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we don't know how to pray as we ought. So ask for the Holy Spirit to help you in your prayer. Ask then the Father for the grace to know what His will is and then to seek to do it. I can't commit myself to do the will of God without His grace motivating me. You might want to think about some of these verses from John's Gospel that we just read. Think about how our Lord came to do the Father's will. That's what I have to imitate. And take a look at each one of those verses. Consider them. so And ask yourself, is my food, doing the will of God, or do I think doing my own thing and my own will is better? This is a very important question. And ask the Holy Spirit to conform you to Jesus and to the will of the Father so you can act and live like Jesus in obeying Him. And then just simply conclude again with the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Make that a way that we learn from Jesus' prayer how to pray in our Lord's life, in our own lives. All right. Tell you what, we'll stop there. We'll go on to uh, the next part of this episode. Um, We have a studio audience. Again, it's nice that COVID is over. We have people here in the studio audience. And ma'am, we'll start off with you. Where are you from? Also from Poland. Yeah, I was going to say that's to... not a Wisconsin accent there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're really from Poland, yeah. and um, what, what's your question? My question is, Father, what happened to those beautiful uh, LITANIES celebrated by priests in mm-hmm. a church with even incense and yeah. singing? Now, what happened to them. them? They are still in the prayer books. But unfortunately, they're left there. And this would be something that would be good. Now, for instance, uh, when you were growing up, you probably had uh, benediction on Sundays. Yes, and so did we. Um, And frankly, in a lot of parishes, they do have benediction every so often, especially in parishes where they have Eucharistic adoration on a regular basis, that they will have benediction. And the litanies were an easy way to pray. Um, this is a, a, a very good thing to use because everybody can join in the litany. you know maybe the priest or some other reader or, or someone chanting, maybe the choir, would do the first part, but everybody can respond, uh, Lord, hear our prayer, or uh, pray for us, if it's a litany of the saints, or have mercy on us, if it's, say, the litany of the Sacred Heart or one of the others dedicated to our Lord. And these are good things to pray together, but also meditate on the individual petitions in those litanies. So I would strongly urge... Uh, that we revive those as a great communal prayer. Uh, they are very beautiful, very poetic, and we we do well with those. And I know sometimes, especially in certain seasons, in the Maronite rite, we use different litanies, uh, uh, just as we do in the Roman rite. And this is a good thing to do. All right, we have a caller on the line. Hello, Anthony. Uh, hi, Father Mitch. How are you, sir? I'm well. Thanks. You're calling from Florida, right? Yes, sir. The beautiful hot Cocoa Beach. <laughs> well, I like hot cocoa. So, go. what do you got? Okay, so um, my wife and I and the clan are here. We watch every Tuesday. And we love you. But uh, in any event, um, we got a question about Matthew 6 mm-hmm. um, 17. Yes. You, uh, it says, "When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face." Well, mm-hmm. what are we supposed to anoint our head with, and or do we get that done in church, and what, what when oh. do we do it, how do we do it, and we wanted your expertise to tell us how how we go about this. Okay, first of all, uh, you probably already do something like that. Um, keep in mind that you know washing your face. I don't have to help you with that, but the THE ANOINTING, YOU KNOW, THEY DIDN'T HAVE SOAP. SOAP HAD NOT YET BEEN INVENTED. THAT TOOK A FEW MORE CENTURIES. SO THEY WOULD USE THE CHEAPER VERSIONS OF OLIVE OIL. I DON'T KNOW IF YOU'RE FAMILIAR WITH OLIVE PRESSING, BUT uh, YOU SEE IN YOUR STORES THAT YOU CAN BUY VIRGIN OLIVE OIL. THAT'S THE GOOD STUFF FOR EATING. That's usually the most flavorful. It's the first pressing. That's why they call it virgin olive oil. The first time they press the olives, this wonderful rich oil comes out. They, the, the typical way is you put the olive, the olive oil, traditional way. You put them in uh, fine woven baskets that have some give to them, and a large stone goes over them and squeezes the oil out. Then... You take the same stone press and roll it over the olives a second time. The oil's not quite as good, but it's still good for eating. And then a third time and a fourth time, usually six or seven times, so that you're squeezing the oil out of the seeds after a certain point. That's the cheap oil that you can't eat, but use for a number of other things. The really cheap one, like the seventh pressing, use that for putting in oil lamps. That's cheap stuff. You 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 just can't eat it, so you burn that. But somewhere along the middle of the pressing, the olive oil is good enough, and you use it to anoint your face as a way to, to help wash it. That's what they used instead of soap was olive oil. It would bring the dirt to the surface and then you would take take the dirt off, which is in some ways uh, similar to what soap does. And they would be using olive oil. So it's not a religious anointing as such. It is putting oil on your face to help clean it up real well. Um, I can recall the days when my mother or grandmother had grave difficulty getting the dirt from behind my ear. I had no idea why they were so focused on it. I couldn't see it. so why are they worried about it? But they would have to use you know good soap to get it off and they would use oil to do that. And the idea is this that you clean up. Don't try to bring attention to your face that your face that I'm, absolutely miserable. Oh, this fasting is killing me. Do you want to hear about how bad it is, how much I suffer in fasting? Actually, I don't. And God, our Lord, doesn't want us to talk about our fasting causing us difficulty. He, uh, we uh, simply want to look like we're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go. Um, And that's why they would anoint their face with oil just to clean it up real well. It's simply that way. But your question, Anthony, is a good one, too, because some people say, well, if we're supposed to wash our face and not show that we're fasting, why do we put ashes on our forehead during Lent, on Ash Wednesday, or the Eastern Rite on Ash Monday? And the reason is this. The ashes are not a sign of fasting the ashes are a sign that you're going to die. It's a reminder of our mortality. That's why the priest says, Remember, man, that you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. And that's a good thing because our society, despite all of its violence, tries to deny that we're going to die. They, they don't want to face our mortality. We want to pretend that we look good forever. We, I don't have any wrinkles and all this sort of thing. And in fact, we will die. And the ashes we wear on Ash Wednesday are not a sign of fasting as much as we happen to be fasting that day, but it's more a sign that we are mortal and that we are dust and unto dust will return. So that's that's good to remember, lest some people say, well, wash the ashes out. No, no, let's remind our world. I remember once Ted Turner was at CNN Studios and a bunch of the Catholics there had ashes on and uh, he was making fun of them. He had to later apologize. You don't make fun of that and, because even he has to die. All of us do. So this is part of it. All right, we'll take a little break. We'll come back in a couple minutes with your questions and yours, so please stay with us. I just want to remind you to be sure to join me tomorrow for EWTN Live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday night. I'll be speaking with an author and law professor, John Lawrence Hill, about how commitment to human rights and human dignity requires a commitment to natural law tradition. And frankly, natural law tradition leads us to belief in god so we'll be talking about that it's very important discussion with some of the things going on right now in regard to law and, ph- and philosophy of life in our society we have another question from our studio audience father where are you from <laughs> father john Meron, hello i am from lebanon and so happy to be here thank you <laughs> you're welcome So my question is um, about the relationship between the public prayer or prayer with community Mm -hmm. and the private prayer, how they work together, how one affects the the other. Sure. Thank you. This, the public prayer, you and I lead public prayer at church when we celebrate the liturgy, and... WE ALSO HAVE OUR PRIVATE PRAYER, WE PRAY THE LITURGY OF THE HOURS, MOST OF THE TIME PRIVATELY, THOUGH SOMETIMES WE DO IT TOGETHER uh, OVER AT CHURCH. FATHER JEAN Maroon JUST CAME TO OUR LOCAL PARISH HERE IN BIRMINGHAM. AND SO WE HAVE THAT, YOU KNOW, PRIVATE PRAYER AND PUBLIC PRAYER AS PART OF OUR LIFE, AS WELL AS OUR PRIVATE MEDITATION. I like to see this by an analogy. When we are in a family, we need to have times where we talk one-on-one with each other. Sometimes a mother or a father have to have a very you know, good conversation with each of their children at different times because no two children are alike you have to talk to them about what's going on in their life but at the same time at the same time we also have to get together at the family dinner and at family meals there's another kind of conversation that goes on and you know uh, you know i i've uh, uh, been working on a LOT OF THINGS ABOUT HISTORY OF MY FAMILY, WRITING SOME OF THESE THINGS DOWN. AND, YOU KNOW, MY BROTHERS AND SISTERS DIDN'T PAY ATTENTION AS MUCH AS I DID. I'M THE OLDEST. SO I HEARD THE STORIES MORE OFTEN, AND I KNOW THEM BETTER THAN THEY DO. So, I re- AND THAT GOES ON AT THE FAMILY DINNER TABLE TO TELL THESE STORIES AND TO TALK ABOUT THE FAMILY as a group. And then there are other times at weddings and baptisms and big holidays that lots of relatives come together. Well, this is parallel to our prayer life with God. There are times we have one-on-one conversation. And then uh, just like a a husband and wife have to have their private conversation, a lot of things they need to talk about away from the kids. And then there are times you have to talk to each kid. There are times the whole family has to talk. And then there are times the larger family gets to talk and and share. This is what we do in our prayer life as well. It's part of relationships. If I only talked to my relatives at big parties, the conversations would all be superficial. I wouldn't get to the more important matter. But if I only talk to individuals, then others are excluded. It's back and forth in the relationship. And one kind of conversation nourishes the other. Similarly, my private prayer nourishes my public prayer. I pray over the Gospels before I preach. I ask our Lord, Lord, what do you want me to preach? Not just, well, I like this idea. No, that's, again, my feelings are irrelevant. Lord, what do you want me and what what inspirations would you give me to address our people? But then, you know, I need that time with the community as, as we, you know, also share giving our Lord's body and blood to our brothers and sisters, or like on Sunday, baptizing and such. This is all part of the set of relationships with God, the church, just like with our family members. I think that's a way to understand it. We have an an email. This is from Fernanda. It says, Dear Father Pack." Please explain the difference between how God punishes those who shed the blood of the innocent and how our sins are redeemed by the death of Jesus. Does it mean that He forgave the people guilty of His innocent death? Fernanda. Well, now, Fernanda, that last part is very, very important. Uh, Think back on the crucifixion scene. Right after the soldiers nailed Him to the cross, and set the cross up right. The first thing our Lord says from the cross is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He doesn't only forgive the people that are crucifying Him. He even gives an excuse for their behavior because they don't know what they're doing. This is very important for us to understand. Of course, he forgives us, forgives those who killed him. And he also reconciled St. Peter, who denied even knowing him. Remember, the first pope denied even knowing Jesus. And then the issue of um, the forgiveness of sin uh, this is something very, very important. Um, it says that, you know, uh, in the Bible, wages of sin is death. The Lord had told Adam that if you disobey, you'll die. And so death is the punishment for sin. But if a guilty person dies for sin, then... It is not really, you know, making up for all sin. But if an innocent person dies, who has no guilt, and especially if that innocent person is the infinite God-made man, then it's an innocent person who dies, and he's infinite, And so His death on the cross is what makes up for our sin. This is a very important principle. And, you know, uh, uh, read St. Paul in Romans chapter 5 that maybe for a good man somebody might die, but God proves His love for us in that while we were still sinners, His Son died for us. This is a key principle of our faith. And so His death as an innocent person on the cross is, makes up for our sins and it's uh, something that He forgave from the cross, those who killed Him. All right. Thank you all for being with us. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you, the Father, the Son, the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you know we can bring you this program and all the other programs that we do only because this network is brought to you by you. So please remember to keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill because we have a lot of bills to pay too. So And then with your help, we'll continue paying those bills. God bless you and thank you for your support. Thank you.